or, uh, you know, just in the news when two teams go at it and uh, it goes something like this. They won, but they kind of lost, meaning there's times where like an NFL team would win, but they would lose their star player like in the fourth quarter or baseball, you know, they, they won the game in the ninth, but in the eighth inning, you know, a major injury happened. And so we have this kind of idea of you won, but not really. Well, I just want to remind us as we go through these Kings, today we have another huge battle that looks like a victory. And yet, I'm constantly trying to remind myself when I read this, this is a civil war. This isn't God against the enemies of the land. This is Israel fighting against Israel. And so you can say it's a win, but not really. It's a civil war. And it's God's people not being able to get along and, and all those things. So uh, we have today King Abijah. You might read in other places Abayim. Um, there's some interesting things there. But turn to Second Chronicles chapter 13, please. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. 2 Chronicles 13. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah, and there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemarim, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David? And you are a great multitude, and with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, and the Levites made for yourselves priests like the peoples of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not gods? But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look, God himself is with us as our head and is his priest which sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. They cried out to the Lord, 
and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter, so 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from Bethel and its villages, Jeshanah and its villages, and Ephron and its villages. But Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah grew mighty, married fourteen wives, and begot twenty-two sons and sixteen daughters. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings are written in the anal, in the, um, I already messed it up, of the prophet. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are um, a loving God, and yet you are a God of war, uh, willing to fight against the evils of this world. Thank you for um, conquering death on the cross. Lord, it's, uh, it's sad to read of your people fighting against one another. It's sad to uh, see so much of ourselves in the stories that you have laid out for us. Lord, again, we pray during this time that we would learn from these uh, people of old, uh, that we would take warning to what they did wrong, that we would listen to the things they did right and apply them to our lives. We pray that your spirit would do a mighty work this morning, that he would control me, that you would be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. I never really like it when people read 22 verses on a Sunday, so I'm sorry. But it's kind of a nice, uh, you know, we're in a portion of Scripture where it's just a story. And so you remember a little bit again here that the kingdom is divided, okay, that uh, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was actually going to go fight the north last week. And God kind of put a, a stop on that. Then he dies, his son takes over, and he's going to go fight Jeroboam from the north, and 500,000 people die. So just a few things here I wanted to see here in this battle that we can kind of, um, some of the things Abijah is saying that we could take heart to this morning. Okay, Number one, his big emphasis when he addresses Jeroboam is he's basically claiming birthright. What do I mean? If you didn't catch it there, in verse 6, yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, okay, he is not from the line of David. This is the whole big piece. And Abijah is sitting there saying, hey, there's no true king unless it comes from David. You're a servant, the son of a servant who is serving Solomon. And you decided to kind of go rogue and try to do this. But trust me, This land has been promised to us by God for the line of David. And you ain't in that line. So that's how I know we're going to have victory. And so it's interesting that there's some of that still historical stuff. I do think it's interesting is we're we're going to talk a little bit about David today. Just numbers in my own mind. This has been about 60 plus years since David's reign. That would be us talking about something that happened in the 50s. That's how it works. Something that happened in the 50s here in America. That's what he, they're talking about David. It was 60 plus years ago. And you'll see David throughout 
obviously the whole history of Israel. And we know that David would be a picture of Jesus and, and all those great promises that come through. But I think it's interesting that Jeroboam is simply sitting there saying, listen, I am claiming the promise that God said that through David we get a king. And if you ain't from David, you ain't going to be king. And so the practical application for us is, again, just these are so many simple reminders this morning. I don't know if I'm going to teach you anything new as much as maybe encourage our hearts and refresh us of simple reminders. Do we actually claim the promises of God? He's pretty forceful here. He's outnumbered two to one. Two to one. And then they're about to get ambushed. He's got an army of 400,000, and he's got 400,000 in front, 400,000 in back of the enemy. It looks like they should be slaughtered. And he's saying, but we're from David. But we're from David. Do you remember the Sunday school verse sometimes that he will provide a way of escape through tem- when you're tempted? I've I got to tell you, I forget that verse a lot. I actually sadly remember numerous times in my life when I was tempted to fall or tempted to sin. That verse would pop into my head and I would pray to God saying, God, you have promised me a way out and I don't see one. So I'm claiming your promise. Either I'm going to sin or you're going to have to fulfill your word and give me a way out. And the reason I'm saying it like that is because God provided every single time. And yet somehow you get older and you just kind of forget the verse. You know, it's interesting, a lot of times then I fall in my sin. If I would just be reminded of one simple promise, that he has promised a way of escape when I'm tempted. And yet I have to claim it. i got to tell you, it's fun when your faith's like that too. Again, I say it to my shame of I remember a time when I would sit there with God and say, listen, just... Okay, but I want you to prove it to me. You said you're going to make a way of escape, so prove it. And he does. There are so many promises from God that we have the right as heirs to the kingdom to say, God, you promised this to me. I need you to keep your word. And we know that he will keep his word. And when he shows up like that in your life, it just makes you Ah, this is the God I serve. This is the one I want to love. This is the one I want to be with. And yet so many times, we don't claim His promises. There was another piece here. Jeroboam starts talking about the priests. Remember we hit on this a little bit. I'm sorry, Abijah's talking to Jeroboam about the priests. Jeroboam, again, last week was pretty sneaky. He said, listen, these guys, if they start to worship the way they're supposed to, I will lose these ten tribes. There is something so uh, awesome about the things that actually motivate us to give ourselves to the Lord are things like worship instead of works. Jeroboam sat and, and, he, and, he, and he looked out, he's got ten of the tribes. He's going, if these guys go to the temple and start sacrificing, if they start to worship, I will lose them. And so remember, he sets up golden calves. And he goes, these are your gods from Egypt. Remember I talked about it last week because it's been 
find all week still that hundreds of years later, they're still wondering if it was Jehovah or the gold calves. It's still something they can bring up. And he brings up the gold calves in this chapter. King Abijah's going, he brought those man-made gold calves, and you're still thinking it's them. And so he's sitting there, and he, and he made his own priests. He made his own priests. God set it up. You have to be a priest from the tribe of Levi. You have to do things my way. There's a lot of strong language in the Old Testament about the priests. Make sure you, when you're at the temple, when you're doing sacrifice, when you're at the tabernacle, you better do things my way. And so here's a king of Israel going, I'm going to get my own priests. I'm going to figure it out by myself. And it's because of that that King Abijah can look at these guys and go, it's because of that kind of stuff you're going to lose today. Because the real priest actually traveled south with me. And we have actually been doing the way God has intended it to be done, with sacrifices in the morning, sacrifice in the table of showbread. He goes through all these things, kind of claiming their Judaism. This is the way it was set up. And we're doing it right. And you guys aren't. So we're going to get victory today. So how does that practically apply to us? I just thought it was kind of interesting, you know. Again, this is all glorified imagination, but you got to think, are there Israelites sitting there thinking something like this? When King Jeroboam sets up priests who aren't from Levi, is there people going, do I really have to be from the tribe of Levi? Does it really have to be like that? Or is that just an old way to look at things? I mean, come on. I mean, why, why was it Levi anyway? I mean, that was so long ago. I hope you get my implications. It's funny when we talk about church. You'll hear whispers all the time. Does it have to be that way? I mean, that's kind of like a really strict way to read the Bible. Yes. We have to be careful. It's so apparent here. Because I'm telling you right now, when I read this, there was a time in my life I'd be like, oh, that's crazy. There's no Israelite that would have said, be a priest from someone else. And now I'm like, oh, there's probably a lot of them. That's a big deal if you're not a Levite. You're a priest. You're trying. What's the big deal if it's a cow or Jehovah? It's God. We're just trying. I mean, honestly, guys, that's in our culture today, right? It matters. It matters a lot, especially when it comes to victory in your life. Especially when it comes to victory in your life, it matters. 500,000 people killed in a civil war. 500,000. I was trying to look at just silly things. Uh, New Haven County has about 800,000 people in it. It's almost a whole county wiped out. New London County was only like 200,000. I thought that was pretty weird. I was trying to find something close to 500,000. I didn't. But it's a lot of people. A lot of people. You know what's interesting is I was reading and, and, and meditating and, and thinking of some things is there seems to be kind of like this staple argument with the world of your God of the Bible slaughtered women and children and, and was so mean in the Old Testament. I just, it, it's not really comforting. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but it's interesting that a lot of people died in Israel too. God didn't just wipe out all the people of the land like he was this big mean God. God had a standard. If you obey me, it'll go well with you. If you don't, it will not. 
And so God was just in the fact that, yes, a lot of people died clearing out the land. And guess what? A lot of Israelites died when they turned their back on him. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. Well, here at the end there, it says uh, in verse 12, Now look, God himself is with us as our head and his priests with sounding trumpet to sound the alarm against you, O children of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. And it says in verse 16, I'm sorry, um, verse 18, Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Okay, was this, because you'll see some of these victories in the Old Testament, was this victory simply for King Abijah? I don't think so. It's interesting here that it would say, they, speaking of the people of Judah, they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Listen, you can have victory in your life, not based on your own life, but based on those around you. You can have certain victories in your life simply based on the people that you've started to associate with. Okay? And we'll talk a little bit about it later on. But here, I mean, Abijah looks like he's a king. He's in charge. He's got a great victory. But some of this is just because of the people. They're still following the Lord. These people in Judah. They're relying on the Lord. And God's going to give them the victory. Them the victory. God is always victorious for those who are relying on him and putting him first. When you read this portion of Scripture, it would seem like, hey, Abijah's one of the good guys. Abijah's one of these good kings we finally got. When I was reading through this, I'm thinking, man, he's talking about the priests. He's talking about, you're not of David. God gives this huge victory. It seems like people are loyal. He's got to be one of the good kings. Great. He's not. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings I really want you to see this contrast because I'm telling you, when I was reading it, I was going, I don't even know how to read 2 Chronicles. This looks like such a great God-blessing kind of chapter. 1 Kings 15 and verse 1. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Abijah, or Abijam, became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the David's life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. So there's two ways to kind of look at it. One, King Abijam was never a good guy. Or, two, that he started off well and ended up bad. But he's only reigning for three years. And so it's pretty interesting that three years he had this great victory, 
but his mark in God's eternal word is, he walked in the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. Isn't that interesting? And so right away it kind of made me think, wow, here's a king that has victories that might be able to talk the right talk and his heart was far from the Lord. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Someone who might be able to say the right thing on a battle day like that and his heart was never with the Lord. Very interesting to me. Anytime I get to speak on loyalty, I love it. It's just one of those themes I see in Scripture that are so important, so simple. Your translation might not say his heart was loyal. It might, not, it might say something like his heart was not um, complete uh, toward the Lord. He wasn't wholehearted to the Lord. Um, it's all basically meaning he did not give his heart completely to the Lord. Loyalty is an interesting subject. Someone once said that loyalty is like the juice of an orange. The flavor cannot be determined until the orange is squeezed to the breaking point. There's a few things here with loyalty that we're going to talk about. Loyalty, number one, typically when we talk about these kings and their hearts being with the Lord or not with the Lord, has to do with idol worship. Okay, He walked in the sins of his father. He set up idols. It's interesting to me. That Abijah, King Abijah, would sit here and talk all that talk he talked about the priests and still have idols in the land. Interesting. Loyalty usually has to do with idol worship. When you see God throughout the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and he's talking to the people saying, you have turned your back on me. You have gone after idolatry. You have set up other gods in place of me. That's what you've done. They're not loyal. They're not loyal. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore... Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, that's a pretty big list. Some would interpret as, when it says, which is idolatry, that they're only talking about being covetous. Others would say it's kind of all of that, just fulfilling your flesh kind of deal. Okay. When you desire someone else's stuff, when you're coveting, then you're obviously not content with what God has given you. Barnes would say this about um, this whole idea of idolatry and um, not being loyal. To worship money is as real idolatry as to worship a block of stone. If this be so, what an idolatrous world is this? How many idolatrous uh, people are there in professing Christian lands? Okay, so this is just kind of like a, a check-in. When we talk about are we loyal to God, sometimes it's very hard for us in 2020 because we don't have a little stone somewhere on our house. 
we don't have a actual physical God. But the New Testament would actually go different with that and say, listen, when you're coveting, if you're not happy, if you constantly want other people's things, that is idolatry. That is. And what you've done is you've given your heart to those things instead of the Lord. And this is the, the, the typical Christianity, hey, check in, how are we doing kind of speech. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your service? What are you doing with all those things? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is the Lord, then your heart will be about the things of the Lord. If it's about the other things, jobs, money, getting stuff, uh, physical pleasure, sins, all that stuff, then that's where your heart is. That's what you're loyal to. And so... You're going to see this throughout all the kings. God almost crying out saying, are you loyal to me or not? Are you loyal to me? Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. I don't want to steal someone's king coming up. But it's a very interesting verse. Second Chronicles 25 and verse 2. Amaziah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. I want us to just chew on that a little bit. You can do the right things and not have a loyal heart. And we know the Sunday school answer of all God wants is our Heart, But this is going to be a running theme throughout the kings and the nation of Israel. That there were those who did the right thing and yet were not loyal to the Lord. And i got to tell you, doing the right thing typically brought blessings. Even if their heart wasn't loyal to the Lord. Because God's ways work. If you take a non-Christian today and apply biblical principles, they will have a decent life. Because God's ways work. But... God is constantly at the idea of, where is your heart? Where's your heart? Turn to Proverbs chapter 20, please. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says this, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? One of the ways you can interpret that is a loyal man. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can actually find someone who's loyal? I want to tell you something else about loyalty. It's hard to find. It's actually hard to find people who are truly loyal. To people, to the Lord, to their work. And everyone thinks they are loyal. It's something that is escaping in our generation of just being loyal. Being loyal. I still, uh, I was just so encouraged, I think I shared this before, at, uh, there was a family friend who, um, his wife uh, had passed away. And it was pretty cool at the... Uh, at the funeral there, um, 
the guy up front said, listen, you have fulfilled your vows. Basically, you're done. And I thought, man, that's pretty interesting. To be able to look at someone whose spouse had just died and say, listen, you, you've done it. You've been committed. You've finished your vows. You were loyal. You gave your heart to her. And now she's going to be on with the Lord. But you did it. It's so encouraging for us to hear that stuff, right? At the end of someone's life to say, listen, you committed you fulfilled your vows. It's, it's great. One more thing about loyalty. Turn to Hosea chapter 6, please. We'll start in verse 4. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings." Your faithfulness, or other translations say loyalty, is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. Loyalty can dissipate very quickly. This doesn't sound too happy, right? So we have loyalty can dissipate quickly. It's hard to find. You can actually be doing what is right in the sight of God and yet not be loyal. And it typically has to do with idol worship. Why am I bringing all this up? King Abijam was not loyal. Was not loyal. He's not that different than us. And so if being faithful to our God, if being loyal to our God, it's hard to find loyalty, it's fast and fleeting, we typically go after idols in our own lives, what are we doing in our lives to make sure we're being loyal? Because i got to tell you, this is where, I, you know, it sounds like a broken record, but this is all those lifestyle choices we talk about. That I'm always amazed that people think they're strong enough to miss church. That they're strong enough to not have Christian fellowship. That they're strong enough to go listen to what the world has to say and not plug in tons of sermons on audio instead. I am not judging you. I'm just saying I know what I read in the Bible and I don't think I'm that different. In fact, I'm probably worse. So I try to put stuff in my life because I think, my goodness, I will never be loyal the way I'm supposed to be. Ever. That's why I dare not miss church. That's why I dare not miss Bible study, even if it's boring. That's why I dare surround myself with Christians. Because the time when I surround myself with none, I will turn in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Why do we think we're so strong? <laughs> over and over, we're going to read how people were not loyal to God. And yet we think, well, don't judge me. I can do this. Okay, fine, do it. I'm telling you I'm not that strong. I'm telling you I'm not that loyal. I'm telling you I need you in my life to keep me accountable. Or I can easily go off the path in a heartbeat. That's my stance. That's why these things of fellowship are important. That's why reading our Bible is important. That's why we go and we listen to other messages online and we just soak as much as we can in. As much as we can. 
Because the day I start to not be loyal, my first thought is, but I do good works just like the other guy. And as soon as I think I'm doing good works, my next thought is this. Well, I'm going to get a little pleasure because I deserve it. That's my idol. And the next thought is this. Well, I was loyal in the past, so I've earned it. So I can dissipate my loyalty a little bit now. That's how the human mind works. We better be careful, people. Turn back, please, to 1 Kings. Very interesting, number four. Nevertheless, for David's sake... The Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. God's promise to David had lasting implications on the future of Israel and still does to this day. Part of your life is affected by God's promise to others who have gone before you. I want you to think about that. You've said this before, there's numerous things in my life that all I can say is, guess what? People prayed for me. And God honored that. So some of the blessings in my life have absolutely nothing to do with my merit or my faithfulness, but have everything to do simply with God trying to bless someone else who decided to pray. And it just makes me think, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? To where maybe if I just fall in love with the Lord a little more, if I just cry out to him a little more and pray, maybe my prayers can actually affect my grandkids and their great-grandkids. And that God would just honor me for that. And we have read the stories, right? We have read the stories of grandparents praying for their grandkids. And God doing amazing things in their lives. When we go through these kings, I just think it's so interesting. Eleven times in the Bible, it says, for David's sake. For David's sake. For David's sake. And yes, he's a picture of Jesus Christ. There's so many things God does for his own namesake that has nothing to do with us. We can be encouraged in that. I want to talk a little bit about it. He does not deal with our wickedness because of his namesake. In Ezekiel 20, it says this. In, In verse 43, And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings, with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord. God is saying, I'm going to deal with you not according to all your wickedness, but for my name's sake I'll deal with you. Isn't that great? (laughs) 
I mean, the language is like, oh, man, you're talking about a lot of evil, a lot of defile, but there's something so beautiful about God saying, listen, I cannot deal with you according to what you do. I have to deal with you according to my namesake. Remember those great things when Moses was like, hey, worry about your name, God. What if you destroy the people right now? What will people say about you? I don't want you to have a bad name. I don't want you to have a bad name. The nation of Israel sitting there, horrible kings are about to come. They're saying, you know what? But for David, I made a promise to him. I, good things will happen to Israel because I made a promise to him. And why did I make a promise to David? Yes, he's a picture of Christ because his heart was loyal to me. I don't know how all that stuff works. I do know this. The Bible says a lot of great things about David who we all know had some mess-ups. But it says here that David's heart was completely for the Lord. There is never an instance of any idols in the nation of Israel when David's on the throne. Not one. In fact, I don't know if there's any other kings that don't have idols. I think there's a few. But I don't recall any idols whatsoever being in the nation that he knew about that he wouldn't deal with. His heart was completely loyal to the Lord. And that's why his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba is so deep on so many levels. That David messed up. He was a human. But his loyalty never stopped. That's why after Uriah and Bathsheba and he's confronted, he says, I've sinned. And he goes to worship. That's what it says he does. There's a heart that is loyal to God, even through a mess up. For David's sake, there will be a man on the throne. His heart was loyal to me. And all these other kings, heart's not loyal. We're going to close with this. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. First Samuel chapter 12. We'll start in verse 20. The people have just asked for a king. This is talking about the prophet Samuel. In verse 20 it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord. To make you his people. There are so many things in our Christian walk. I just there's so many benefits of our Christian walk. Our salvation. If not every benefit, right? But there's so many things that God has done for the sake of his name in your life, not because of your merit. There's so many opportunities he might have granted because you have claimed to be a Christian. You have claimed to be a follower of the Lord and the world's looking at you and God just like, hey, I just got to bless that person because my name's on them. And in the midst of us and just our humanity, 
these guys are messing up all these evils and they want a king and they've rejected God in that. He says, listen, I will not forsake you for my namesake. And here's the piece that just got to me. Because, Israel, you've got to realize, okay, you've got to realize it pleased the Lord to make his people. I don't know why, but the Lord loves us. <laughs> like we talked about this morning. Israel's sitting there going, oh man, we messed up and he's done so much. As you can see the guilt and you can see the evil and what are we going to do? And the prophet's going, listen, he's not going to forsake you for his name's sake. And by the way, it pleased him to make you his people. And he knew what was coming. And it pleased him to say, these are my people. When we go through all these kings, just remember that. We are God's bride. He is not ashamed to call us his brethren. It pleased him to save us. I don't know why, but I'm going to sit right there. I'm just going to enjoy it. It pleased him to make us his people. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Lord, we would pray um, that somehow you could uh, just do a work. I don't even know how it all works out with your sovereignty and our free will, but we want to be more loyal to you. We want to give our hearts fully to you. And yet, looking at ourselves and looking at human history, it's impossible. It shouldn't be. It should be the easiest thing in the world to do, to give our hearts completely over to you. And yet it seems to be hard. So Lord, I pray again that you would do a work, that you would just increase our faith, that you would increase mercy, that you would increase grace, that you would let us here at Brantford Bible Chapel be a people that are loyal to you, that our hearts should be fully committed to you, that we would not be like the Israelites who just kind of were wishy-washy and and had different times, Lord, that we would be those who, for this season of life, are completely committed to who you are and to your agenda. Lord, thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you for doing these things for your name's sake. We pray that your name would be lifted high here at this assembly and that you would get all the credit in your name. Amen.